Good afternoon, and welcome to Data Migration Strategies to Enable Successful Application Transitions, a Health System CIO Media Inc. production sponsored by Galen Healthcare Solutions. Just a little housekeeping before we get started. My name is Anthony Guerra. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Health System CIO, and I will be your moderator today. We've got some interactive features today, namely uh, the Q&A. So send your questions in as they occur to you, and we will take them later in the program. Um, questions or comments, so definitely uh, send them in. If you want to download the deck, you can use the URL on your screen, and it has been sent out in the chat box. Just so you see how we are going to spend our time today, first we're going to go about 35 minutes with our main panel discussion featuring Chris Giroux, Manager, Informatics, Data Management and Integration Services with Northwestern Medical Center, and August Bory, Principal Technical Consultant with Galen Healthcare Solutions. We anticipate also being joined by Michael Archuleta, CIO at Bridge Care Health Network, Mount St. Raphael. Uh, he's running a little bit late, but hopefully he will be able to join us shortly. And then we will have our Q&A. So without further delay, I'm going to jump right into the good stuff. Um, Chris, let's start with you. Can you give us an overview of your organization and your role? Sure. Uh, my name is Chris Giroux. I'm the manager of uh, data management integration services in our informatics division in the IT department. Um, we are, I work for Northwestern Medical Center, which is a small community hospital in St. Albans, Vermont. Um, when we um, kind of started this project of migrating data, we were bringing, taking data from one EMR to the other um, to get us all under one vendor, one umbrella, and that was moving 19 practices to our main acute EMR. So that's a little bit about me. Very good, Chris. Thank you very much. August? Sure, my name is August Bory. I'm a Principal Technical Consultant at Galen Healthcare Solutions. A little bit about Galen, uh, we're a class-leading uh, technical and professional services organization that really focuses and specializes in helping organizations in the, the transition services space. So moving from one uh, platform or system to another, uh, migrating the data for that system, helping implement the new system, as well as archiving the data from those old systems. All right, very good. Next question. Chris, let's start with you. Approximately how many years of clinical data is it appropriate to migrate as part of an EMR transition? That's a great question. That's one that we certainly had um, when we decided to convert um, our practices to our acute EMR. Um, it's really on who you talk to. Um, you know, when we kind of started the project and we put that forth to our clinicians, the question back to us was, can we just bring it all over? Um, so, <laughs> you know, as far as like clinically relevant information, I'd have to leave that question to the clinicians, but we were presented um, with, you know, can't we just bring it all over? And so that's what we set out and attempted to do, was to bring, out, bring over all of the information. Now, our prior EMR had roughly about eight to 10 years of ambulatory or, or physician practice data, so we did just that. So we brought over about eight to 10 years. 
Let me ask you a follow-up question. So you said well, it's up to the clinicians. So you're doing the transition. You say, well, what do you want? And they say, well, and I'm I'm joking. Well, we're we're real busy. I don't know. Take give me everything. Yeah. Now, is, does that mean that's the right answer? Because you know, uh, we'll probably touch on the issues of what you have. You're responsible for, uh, yeah. and so there's certain liabilities there, and there's limitations of what you know. There's requirements for how long you have to have something. But beyond that, it's a question of should you have it. So more thoughts there, Chris. Yeah, I mean, we have a lot of those same sort of questions from a medical record standpoint, like what was the requirement to keep. Um, we had one of our clinics is a pediatric clinic. So actually um, for, for Vermont, we were required to keep um, a longer amount of data. Um, so really, the fact that we had about eight to ten years in our in our existing EMR that we wanted to migrate, that seemed about appropriate. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it's a good question to ask and really challenge um, the folks that are, you know, just kind of saying, you know, we just want it all. Um, because sometimes there are um, challenges that you have to work through, meaning, you know, do I have enough storage? Is this going to, you know, have an impact to performance long-term, those sort of things. Um, With eight to ten years, we didn't have as much of a concern about it, Um, but certainly those are things that you really have to include your medical record departments as well as clinicians in in making that decision. Very good. August, thoughts? Yeah, um, you know, it's funny you said uh, we want it all. That's in helping organizations kind of decide and make recommendations about what to migrate, that's probably the number one thing that we hear, especially at the outset is, oh, well, we, we want to bring everything. Um, we, we sometimes just caution against that, like some, for some of the reasons you, you said, Chris, storage, or another big one is, you know, using a new system, bringing a lot of data, maybe bringing too much data, it can sometimes be difficult to find the data that they're then looking yeah. for once they get live on that new system. So. It does depend a little bit on kind of the scope of what's being brought over. But the sweet spot that we kind of usually typically land in with, with organizations is somewhere in the three to five year range. Mm-hmm. Um, depending on how long they've been live on the system, that can be a, a, you know, a, a healthy amount of data. It can be a lot of data if it's an organization that's been live um, for a while, has a lot of patients. But that's typically kind of where we, we end up with three to five years, um, one of the questions that we ask very early, early on is what, uh, what information is going to be needed by the providers to provide continuity of care for the, the patients on that new system? So the first time the patient comes in, you know, what information is really needed that needs to be at the, the provider's fingertips? And that's, you know, that's kind of the direction that we start that conversation in. Yeah, and sorry, if I could add to that, you know, and it's really you have to query um, not just one or two clinicians, I would say. I would say, you'd, you know, in our case, we had 19 practices, and so all of those practices in general somewhat might practice a little differently or have different thoughts around it, right? So the pediatric, you know, clinicians had other thoughts around it, and they were really dialed into needing immunizations, for example, Um, whereas uh, not to say that primary care and other, you know, um, practices weren't concerned about it, but it wasn't as important to them, right, because they might not be as dialed into that. So it's really 
kind of getting a laundry list of what is most important to your point, August, is deciding what are the most important points for them to practice and see a patient um, on day one. Yeah, and, and to, to add one more thing onto that too is, like you said, it, it can be different depending on what mm -hmm. data is being brought over. One of the things that we see commonly, especially for a pediatric uh, population, like you mentioned, we might bring over or recommend bringing over uh, all history of vital signs for instance, for example, so that in the new system, those growth charts can be uh, can be looked at and trended. Um, you know that may differ depending on some of the other uh, data that's being brought over. So, August, do you think do you think it's it's better for um, healthcare IT executives and CIOs to approach clinicians with a suggested plan as opposed to saying what do you want? because you're going to get that, uh, give me everything. Because uh, give me everything allows right. them to move on to the next thing. You know, they're done. They, they, they answer three words and they're done. So it's much more complicated to pare things down than to take it all. So what's the best approach for um, IT executives when dealing with, you know, the clinical heads? Yeah, you know, that, that, that's a good question. Um, I, I'd say, Starting with, with a recommendation, a recommended approach, somewhere in, in that kind of range, like I was mentioning, um, you know, obviously uh, executives and, and a CIO uh, is going to have other things to think about, cost and, and kind of feasibility and, and technical, uh, you know, uh, approaches to the, the, the project, whereas, the, you know, the clinicians might, like you said, just, just say, well, we want it all. Um, so I would definitely recommend kind of going in with, with an approach and, and maybe you know, talking to uh, uh, peers in the community and other groups that have gone through a, a similar, similar process and kind of see, you know, here's what we think we can do. Here's what we've seen work well, um, because, you know, if you leave it open, then uh, yeah, right. they're, they're going to want everything and, and that gets costly. Very good. All right. Next question. What types of discrete data are appropriate to migrate as part of the transition? August, let's stick with you first. Sure. So uh, kind of the main ones that we see right off the bat, you know, we're going to want to migrate the, the patient information, patient demographics, um, as well as some of that patient level information, like the, the problems, medications, um, allergies, immunizations, like Chris mentioned, those are, are really kind of a, a no-brainer, in, in my opinion, and that's really kind of the baseline of where we start when we are talking to an organization about bringing data over. Uh, another, another one that's really big are uh, trendable results, lab results, pathology, um, point-of-care tests, things like that, as well as some radiology and imaging results. Uh, those are kind of, those kind of make up the, the core of the discrete data um, you'll also, uh, another common one uh, are the, the provider notes or clinicians notes, progress notes, uh, things like that. Oftentimes, the last few notes for a patient are highly desirable. So getting that information into the new system is, is usually um, a pretty important piece of it. Some of the other information uh, works really well with either limiting the, the number of years of the amount that's brought over or referencing it in an archive type solution. Um, so that's kind of the trade-off that we see is what's, what's the discrete information that's, that's going to be able to be brought over efficiently and also mm -hmm. is going to light up that new system 
you know, right at the, the provider's fingertips so they can use it. And then what is more easily accessible um, in a, you know, an archive type solution where they can, if they need to go back and look at something, it's right there, but it might not actually physically live in the new system. Chris? Yeah, I would echo um, a lot of what um, August referenced, the medications, the allergies, the problems, the immunizations, vital family history, past medical history. Those are the key discrete um, data elements that our clinicians were looking for. Um, and, and a lot of the vitals can, you know, mean, you know, height, weight, and blood pressure and all those sort of things, but there are other elements too, some particular, you know, smoking questions, you know, all those sort of things that are really mm -hmm. key to kind of treating the patient um, are definitely, um, I would think, most any organization would look for in discrete um, data. Um, in addition, and I think August referenced this, is also some of the documentation, which is discrete, but it kind of comes over more as a report that folks are looking for too. Um, so like a document conversion of some sort, unless you have an eloquent way of accessing those easily, um, a lot of clinicians are referencing um, previous um, documentation or notes and they need that at their fingertips too. So unless you have a, a way to access those quickly and easily, um, I, I know our organization um, required or wanted a document conversion, so we also did that in, in addition, which is a little different than the discrete, but it's, it is the data that they're truly looking for to reference to treat the patient in front of them. Very good. And then I'll just oh, go I'll ahead. Just a, a couple other things that, that came to mind um, that are kind of smaller, but can we've seen organizations find a lot of value um, in bringing over uh, things like a patient's primary care provider or maybe their preferred pharmacy that they that they use for for prescriptions. You know, those while those aren't you know, huge uh, pieces of data, they would probably get rekeyed in anyway in the new system and can just help for, you know, the, it's a pretty uh, small lift in getting that information sometimes over to the new system. So just kind of those, those other ancillary discrete uh, pieces of information that can come over as well. Yeah, and that, that's a good point too, the demographics, the visits with, you know, maybe some insurance information for reference. Mm -hmm. um, that definitely um, we benefited from that as well because otherwise it, it would be someone either manually keying that in or, you know, having to go dig for that information. And so those were, you know, helpful um, pieces more on the administrative side, but it, it definitely um, eliminated several steps um, after the go live uh, of the converted data. All right, excellent. Next question. Uh, Chris, let's stick with you. What are the drivers for discrete data migration as part of the transition? Yeah, I, I would say the key drivers is to eliminate any manual, um, you know, keying of information because we all know uh, folks make mistakes or, you know, uh, might be putting it in the wrong place, that sort of thing. And so, um, a systematic approach um, was something that we felt was a much better way of handling this um, for quality assurance of the data. Um, whenever you're, you know, A, you have to come up with a resource to potentially key this information, but it's also 
the potential of errors or incorrect information coming over if you're asking someone to manually do it. So we were really searching for a systematic way that we could just drive that data and feed it into the new system to eliminate that cost for resources to key it in and um, eliminate uh, the potential for errors. So those were kind of the big, big things, knowing that this is, you know, very important um, clinical information that really needs to be accurate. August? Sure. So, yeah, I mean, definitely what um, everything that Chris mentioned and, and one of the, the kind of key pieces, I think I mentioned earlier, but the data will light up kind of that new system and all of the the, the places that providers are kind of like, if they're, they're getting trained and they're kind of uh, preparing to move over to use a new system, you know, the, the discrete data migration will help data land and show up in all those places where they're going to be used to seeing it moving forward. So it can, it's a really, it can be a really good training tool as well, um, a way for, to kind of improve their satisfaction as they're using a brand new system and kind of getting acclimated to that. Um, can help keep productivity levels, you know, higher, so there's not as much manual reentry of the data once they're live on the new system. Um, and then another one, it's kind of since that data is discrete uh, from a reporting perspective, whether the organization is reporting out from that new system, um, or whether there's just internal reporting initiatives that since that data is discrete in the database. Uh, you know, you can access it, you can, you can uh, pull it and report on it as you would just any other data that was living there. Yeah, thank you for saying that because that, that is another key element is the other thing that was really um, important is a lot of this discrete data, um, we needed to be able to turn around and pull at some point for reporting, whether it's PCMH or um, meaningful use or promoting interoperability, so that, you know, those things needed to be there. And again, you don't want to have to manually enter all of this data. So there are other, you know, um, other than the upfront having the data there, but it's also on the back end of being able to pull it out and extract it later on as well. So yeah, that's, that's a good point. All right, excellent. Uh, next question. What strategies exist for differentiating migrated data from existing data? if that's applicable. Um, Chris? Yeah, so our EMR actually enabled us to do that pretty um, fairly easily. We were able to see the source or understand the source. Um, so, and I'll, I'll use the example of like medications and allergies and, you know, those sort of things. Those existed as external data, I will say, so that when the patient presented, they could see that information, they could see that the source was external or came over from another system, um, and then they could reconcile that data right in front of the patient. So that was really key. So it kind of enabled them to see what data we had collected in our existing system, and then what data was collected in our other, our other system that we brought over, um, and then it gave them the opportunity to reconcile that. Um, and again, that was our EMR, but it was it was very helpful so that they could understand that oh, this is this was the con essentially they could tell what was the converted data. A lot of times, especially with the discrete data elements, they were able to do that. Not a hundred percent, but the key um, discrete data like meds, 
allergies, immunizations, vitals, you know, those, those elements, they could see exactly where it came from. And, that, and that's really good so that they could kind of um, make sure that they had a complete and accurate record. They could see it all there and say, oh, okay, I, I get this. This is coming from my other system. This is what I have here. Let me kind of compile this, bring this all together, run it by the patient, and make sure it's accurate. Very good, August. Yeah, and, and Christy brought up kind of exactly the, the the first thing I was going to mention there as well. When there's kind of that reconciliation or you know sort of landing spot for some of that discrete information, and from from our experience, a lot of the big EMR vendors kind of have that functionality, and so it does really make it easy to say, oh, this medication came from this outside source. Here it is compared to all the meds that are currently on the patient's chart. And I, I think that's a really helpful tool for clinicians to be able to see that information and, and the different places it came from. And a lot of times it might even say, you know, uh, blah, 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 conversion. So it's able to, you're able to see exactly that it's converted data from this specific organization. Um, another one that we see commonly is, especially for information that's being tied to an encounter in that new system, uh, that encounter might be referenced as a conversion encounter. So any lab results or maybe any progress notes, anything that we have uh, converted to that new system and tied to that encounter, a user can easily say, oh, all this data is tied to this conversion encounter, it's converted data, you know, now I know that that's where it's, it came from. It's, it really is going to look and feel uh, just as in any other data would, and that's kind of one of the goals of the migration as well, is we really want the data that we're migrating to look and feel largely just like any other data that the user is, is seeing, but with those kind of different ways that they can differentiate uh, that the, the data was migrated. Yeah, if anything, it just helps to tell the story a, a little more and understanding of the entire patient record. I know our HIM um, team really took a close look at how our documents were built and you know, how they were going to match up what was coming over from our other system to what was existing in our, our medical record. And, they, and it was important sometimes to be able to notate that this was a converted document, right, so that people could clearly see that and find it easily. Um, and in some cases, it was more important that it just seamlessly was there um, like it had always been there. So um, it kind of depends on what you're looking for, but... Um, you definitely have to kind of do that deep dive and analysis of what would work best for, you know, what element. Very good. Very good. All right. Next question, August, let's start with you. What is the ROI, a question everybody likes, uh, from data migration? How is it measured and justified? Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, just working with organizations that have, performed migrations, you know, many, many, many migrations, um, and then also kind of interacting with organizations that have not, um, you know, anytime that the, that organization decides to, to do that migration, you know, I, I really think that there's, there's all the benefits like that we've been talking about um, in terms of kind of the productivity that I was mentioning earlier, being able to go live on that new system and, you know, not have a, uh, a huge or a, a, at all a decrease in the amount of patients that can be seen 
um, you know, all that information is, is right there, kind of at the, the providers able to, to view it and, and use it. Um, you know, everything we've, we've heard from uh, clients that have not done a data migration, uh, you know, I, uh, to be honest, I'm not sure how they, they did that. Um, it must have been a, a huge undertaking um, in order to kind of help uh, that data, whether it's being abstracted manually or whether they're just kind of leaving it in the old system and letting the, the users reference it for, you know, an extended period of time. Uh, you know, we, I, I think we really see a, a ton of value in bringing the data over, especially when you're talking, you know, a, about a large number of patients. Um, you know, anytime we, uh, there's a system that maybe is well, one provider, two providers, that's kind of where you get into the, um, kind of the frame of, well, maybe it's not worth pursuing an electronic conversion. Maybe some of that data can be abstracted because there's not a huge number of patients. But anytime we're talking about a large number of patients, um, I think there's, there's really a ton of value in getting that data over discreetly. Chris? Yeah, I would I would agree with that cause, because again, you're you're either going to have to man you're going to have to pay um, a group of people because it's you know it can be more than typically a person um, to key that information and then depending the about around the amount of data that you have um, will kind of determine that lift or that effort um, and. If you're wanting to, you know, pull in several years of data, your, your volumes are probably quite high, and to, you know, pay uh, someone manually or, you know, whatever to get that data in there, it just, uh, for us anyway, it did not make um, economic sense, as well as we were also really concerned about errors in that manual keying of data. So. To us, that seemed like it offset maybe the cost of doing a conversion, um, it outweighed the um, key potential keying errors, so leading to inaccurate data um, and reporting and those sort of things, versus you know paying um, someone to manually enter all of this data um, and the, how much time it would take to really do that and to be able to get it done in a timely manner um, for our, our go-live. We had about 10 months from the time we started our implementation to when we went live, and, you know, how, how much can one truly um, uh, input in a timely manner where it was up-to-date, right? Because you can't have them keying this information six months in advance, right? <laughs> they have to key it in advance maybe of a couple weeks, right, because you want it to be up-to-date and accurate. So it just didn't make economic sense to manually do that. So, um, I, I mean, I think it really is based on how much data you have and how many resources you have to potentially um, do something like that. And I, I think every organization might be a little different, but if you have any, if you have a significant amount of data, then I, I'm not sure how um, you could justify paying someone to manually key it versus um, having it converted. August, I saw you nodding your head in agreement. Yeah, you, you brought up a good point, Chris, in terms of kind of the fidelity of that data, because right, if, if you migrate discreetly and you migrate it uh, or have it abstracted, theoretically the, the data will be in there either way. Um, when we do or perform our migration, the kind of the data validation and the, the patient validation is 
is really the majority of, of the project timeline. And so there's, there's kind of multiple rounds of, of that validation where it's loaded into a kind of a, a staging environment. It's, it's looked at by, uh, by Galen as one party, but also by the clinicians, by the end users, by the, the real people whose data it is and who are going to be using it uh, you know, day in and day out. And that happens multiple times and uh, over m multiple iterations. So that's really a, a key piece of the project is ensuring that the data that is brought over discreetly because there is so much of it that it's going to land and, and be accurate in that new system. And, and the other thing I just wanted to add was um, the other thought is, you know, we're, we are, you know, paying, you know, vendor support on our previous system and at some point we want to not have to do that, right? So if you are exporting, um, you know, the bulk of your data, maybe you still need to archive some of it, but um, if you're pull, extracting and pulling out that data and it's now in your new system, the thought also was that you could discontinue um, the, the um, annual or the monthly fees that you're paying to your existing vendor to, which was also part of our plan is within a year that we'd be able to um, turn off our prior EMR so that because all of the data we had moved over and we could, you know, essentially save you know, money on a, on a second system maintaining and, um, um, you know, paying our service contracts on it. So um, that was definitely another, you know, piece is to, to save that money as well. All right, very good. Chris, let's stick with you. Um, <clears throat> have you engaged risk management to help assess potential legal risk of not pursuing data migration? Um, we had our risk group very much involved in um, our, you know, decision making um, throughout this. They were at all of our steering committees, um, so they were definitely in the know of, you know, what would happen if we didn't have it, or, or if we did, and how we're managing it. So, we definitely consulted with them, um, and you know, what might be the pros and cons of either, so to speak, so that they could weigh in on their decision making. And it was definitely a concern of, again, you know, manually keying is a, a significant risk. So, you know, that definitely outweighed, I think, you know, the risk of, uh, um, of a conversion, um, knowing that to August's point, like we did so much, like the bulk of our effort was in the validation to make sure that the data did come over, that it came over correctly, and that was where we put our time and effort to make sure that the data was 100% accurate that came over versus, again, you know, pay, potentially paying someone to manually key that in when, you know, there's just not nearly as many controls, if you will, around that. So. We definitely did loop in our medical records group and our risk um, when making those decisions. August, thoughts? Yeah, you know, yeah, uh, I'll say, you know, by and large, when, when we get engaged, an organization has mostly made the decision to perform a data migration. Uh, and so that's, you know, that's kind of where we, we get brought in. The, the times when we kind of can, can help assist with, uh, you know, figuring out the best uh, route for a given system. Uh, there are when there's kind of some of those smaller systems 
that, that maybe aren't, uh, don't make economical sense to migrate that data over, uh, we would probably recommend or would recommend uh, kind of an archival strategy like Chris was alluding to, being able to turn off those systems and not have, not have to pay licensing costs and, and server costs and storage costs. So from an archival perspective, you know, you're getting kind of archiving all of the data from that system. So from a legal perspective, you can uh, turn that, that old system off. So those are, I mean, those are the, the, the types of conversations that, that we would typically have. I'd say the, the majority of the time, the, the migration and archival are really a complementary uh, set of services where a portion of the data is migrated for, you know, a, maybe a larger uh, electronic system and then the entire data set is archived. All right, very good. Uh, next question, Chris, let's go with you. How do you ensure all data is loaded prior to go live? Um, I think August and I kind of alluded to this a little bit, is um, there is significant amount of work um, put into um, preparing a data file and significant amount of testing. So we would we we probably did I, I want to say six or eight um, test file loads. So we gather you know a group of records. Um, there'd be a process of several folks, not just one or two people, that would access those records and take a look and compare them to our existing live to make sure that the data is accurate. And they would bring back to us if we were missing components or you know, whatever might not have come over correctly. And then we would make the changes, um, make the fixes, and then kind of recompile, if you will, another data set and reload again. And then we would test, we would say about 10% of the records. Um, and it would be a spot check of you know, making sure that we are looking at all different patient types, for example, or um, different, you know, from different locations, different practices, to make sure we had a really good sampling across the board, um, to make sure that you know we were looking at everything, and that took folks from our medical records department, that took some um, RNs, some like clinical folks, that took um, some staff from our information technology group, our informatics group. So we had several, so I would say several eyes on it, lots of testing, lots of validation. That is worthwhile time. And it's amazing. We were able to tweak and fix a lot of things. We found things that were like not good data in our previous system. We were able to filter out so that we chose not to bring it over. Um, it's just really extensive testing and validation by a large group of people and when I say large, I, I, what I mean is like a good uh, different groups of folks looking at it at, from different perspectives. So again, HIM, IT, clinicians, um, because we all look at things a little differently um, and comparing them to our existing live. Um, and then just running, you know, providing that feedback, working with your vendor very closely and retesting and revalidating. Uh, we did that several times. We worked through lots of issues, and to date, we, you know, we have not found any significant problems with our migration. But again, it took that was where to focus your resources, in my opinion. August. 
Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that you haven't found any significant issues as part of the migration. <laughs> just, just, just from a, a group that, that does those types of projects, I'm, I'm just happy to hear that. Um, you know, it, exactly like what Chris mentioned, the, the multiple iterations of, of validation. Part of the, 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 the project and, and the validation uh, component of the project that, that we will uh, help out with is we call it full-scale validation. And the, the real the reason for that uh, for performing that uh, that um, component of validation is really to get an idea of how that data is going to load and timing and everything once you go to load it into the the system into the production environment. So those multiple rounds of validation, that full scale where all of the data is loaded into uh, a test environment, in our experience, is kind of the last uh, test run, if you will kind of a, a, a dry run for the production load. Uh, Chris mentioned, I think, around a 10-month project for, for uh, the, or the, the migration that she went through. That's kind of right in where we see it as well, any, anywhere between seven to 10 months, depending on the scope of the project. And the majority of that is that validation. And then that last kind of load into the test environment of the, the full set of data really gives you an idea of how that data how long it's going to take to load into into the production environment for for that go live, and so oftentimes that could be two three weeks some something in, in there depending on how much data there is, and so getting an, a real idea of how long it's going to take allows you to kind of plan out that whole go live event, and and to start you know this many weeks before uh, load the the majority of the data. And then we'll perform catch-up loads or gap loads as we get closer to go live to make sure that once the users go live on that new system, they have the most up-to-date information as possible. So it's really kind of working through that entire validation process. Make sure that one, you're, you're resolving any issues, and two, that when you go live, the data is as caught up and as current as possible. And then we'll also, after the fact, because you know, from what we've seen, as much as, as organizations would love to be able to kind of cut off a, a system uh, the day of go live, there's always going to be kind of cleanup things uh, and, and practices and processes that are happening in that old system. And so we'll go back, you know, 30 days later, 15, 30 days later, and do a catch up load so that really we're capturing all of the data uh, that was entered, not just before go live, but in the kind of trickling in after go live as well. All right, very good. We have a question that has come in uh, through YouTube. We're live streaming to YouTube today. Uh, question has come in for Chris. How long did it take to get your data in your new EHR? Um, well, we started working on the data migration about 10 months um, prior to go live. But as far as like loading the data, um, we started that two weeks prior to our go live, and, and August kind of, I think, alluded to it a little bit, is you kind of load up to a certain point, like up to the previous month, and then that takes about two weeks to load, and then, um, you know, give or take, and then there's right before you go live, there was kind of like a catch-up file that kind of gave the last bit of information. So... I won't say it was two solid weeks, but it took, we kind of booked it out. It was two weeks prior to go live. 
that um, we started loading the data. I hope that answers your question. Mm, very good. Yes, I think that that is good. Um, we touched on this, so let's move on. Should the entire patient population be migrated or a subset based on last visit date or other filters? August, let's start with you. Yeah, I mean, uh, we almost always see a subset of data being migrated, uh, just for kind of some of the reasons that we, we talked about earlier in terms of, uh, you know, not wanting uh, all of the data or sometimes when you migrate all of the data, um, it can be a little cumbersome to find in that new system. And also just, you know, only bring over kind of what is, what is needed to provide that continuity of care. A lot of times it is based on that last visit date. So we might say any patient who has been seen in the last three years will bring over their data and will bring over the last X number of years. Um, that, that kind of last time the patient was seen, a lot of times we'll, we'll ask the question of the organization, well, how does your organization define an active patient? And sometimes it is the last the, the patients that have been seen in the last three years. And if they haven't been seen in the last three years, when they come in on that new system, they're effectively a, a brand new patient. And so sometimes that's the kind of criteria that's used to uh, inform and determine um, the data that's being brought over as part of the migration. Um, in other cases, sometimes it's just saying we want to bring over the last two years of data and it just goes back from a, a specific cutoff date. Anything before that is expected to be found either in an archive or the, the legacy system. If it's more recent than that, then it should be in, in the, new, the new system. Where we've seen uh, uh, organizations kind of want to pick and choose about how many years of different data is brought over. Um, let's say it's a uh, full history of vitals, three years of lab results, um, five years of notes, I'm just throwing you know, dates out there. Um, that can be a little confusing for the end user and, and the clinicians when they're seeing data in that new system because it, it can be hard to remember, okay, well, if it's this data, it's three years. If it's this data, it's five years. And it can be hard to determine if the data that, that should be in there actually is in there. So we try to recommend you know, to, to keep a, a general time frame in terms of how much data is brought over so that kind of it's, it's easy for everyone to, to understand that and know when something is in there or is not in there and whether it should be. Very good. Chris, thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, it's, again, kind of what your, your organization is, is looking for. And um, the key is really to get the information, the necessary information to treat the patient in front of the provider. Um, and clinicians um, as easy as possible. And, and sometimes that might be a little bit of a hybrid situation and it all depends on your EMR um, and you know how quickly and how easily you can access that historical data or if it makes sense to just bring it over and just have it there so that you can you know, discontinue you know, your service with that previous vendor. So it, I think it's almost a, a case by case, if you will, um, of what your organization is looking for. Again, we're a small community hospital um, where 
a lot of our patients came to our hospital for labs and DIs, and so we already had a lot of information on our patients already. So we're really just looking to bring in those physician practices information over. So now in our EMR, we have a very good, complete record of our patients because we have both sides now. So it's, it's really kind of what you're, what you're looking for, what your goals are. And you, you brought All up right. a great point Go there, ahead. There, Go ahead, Chris, about, um, you know, a, in an organization where uh, patients are kind of seen in the hospital, but then they're on a different system in the ambulatory setting. Um, a, a lot of times, uh, kind of the breakdown of organizations that we see, some data already might exist in, in the inpatient system. And so uh, we'll be kind of tasked with determining, well, what data should be brought over from an ambulatory perspective. We don't want to duplicate any data that already exists in that, that inpatient setting, that inpatient system. So like you mentioned, it is kind of an organization case-by-case -case basis, uh, but we do see that a lot of times trying to uh, prevent duplicates, filter out information that may have been interfaced, such as lab results, in, that, in those ambulatory systems because they already exist in that inpatient system and, and there's no you know, we want to avoid any duplication of data if we can help it. Yeah, I, I strongly recommend like a, a really big, I'll say, spreadsheet or some sort of cross-reference of all of the data that you're looking for and, and kind of a, a mapping out a plan, if you will, of what do you need discreetly and how far back. I mean, I, I think you have to go through the whole exercise and that planning will set you up to work with a vendor. Um, I mean, it's, it's time well spent um, planning that all out in detail. I want to sneak in one more audience question. We're running short on time. Um, what, in, and you had mentioned previous vendor in your answer, uh, Chris, working with the previous vendor. What involvement if any, was required from the legacy EMR vendor and the go-forward EMR vendor. So what's their role? And August, when it's your turn, um, you know, do you play a role as the service provider in dealing with those vendors? Uh, or you know, to what degree does the customer, Chris, have to be involved? Uh, you, know, you get a lot of, co a lot of uh, chefs uh, in the kitchen. So go ahead. Chris, why don't you go first? That's a, a fantastic question. So it's really, um, you have to really work with your, I'll say, previous vendor or maybe your current vendor on, on what they can produce for you. So our, our previous vendor was able to create um, an XML file or essentially a CCD that we could extrapolate this data from. And then we worked with um, our, our another, you know, vendor to kind of, say, okay, now we have this in this form, how can we translate this to um, the, the um, receiving or our new EMR specifications? And so you have to really have some technical folks involved that can understand some of that language, if you will, um, and understand how maybe how data might be transformed along the way um, so that you can help you know, kind of get it from point A to point B. And we were able to work with, with Galen in particular to kind of map that out because, you know, we went to our prior vendor. They basically just said, this is what we can do. And then we had to figure out, okay, so how do we get it from that point <laughs> to the point of our receiving EMR? And so we needed some help technically along the way 
to kind of um, figure that out. And so some of that was technically in-house in our IT group, and some of it was not. And that's where we needed to partner um, with uh, consulting services to kind of help, help us out. But those are important questions to ask because there could be some additional costs or fees um, that you just want to kind of plan for. August, do you want to touch on that and then uh, consider that giving you the last word for today, and then we're going to wrap. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, when, when an organization kind of comes to us looking for assistance with migrating data, kind of our preferred approach is really to kind of handle it from, from start to finish. Uh, you know, we, we like to get into uh, the kind of the database or the, 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 the nuts and bolts of that existing or current system, legacy system, however you want to phrase it, and really get that data out um, anytime. And, and it does happen that the, the legacy vendor uh, is involved. It, you know, it, I'm sure, Chris, you can attest to this working with the legacy vendor. You know, it can, it can, can slow things down, create additional costs, like, like you mentioned. Um, sometimes there's no way around it. Certainly, the you know the 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 best approach that we've seen is to kind of really get in there and access that legacy system itself directly, get the data out, and then get it into uh, with whatever the format that it needs to be in in order to get it into that new system. And like Chris mentioned, any, every new system, every target EMR is going to have a little bit different format that it needs to be in. Um, and so that's really kind of one of the the things that we help out with both from a technical and kind of overall um, feasibility perspective, is making sure that data is, gets out of that old system um, as quickly and as easily as possible, and then into the format, whether it's XML or, or whatever, uh, HL7, uh, that it needs to be in to go into that new system. And really the, you know, engaging the, the, the target system vendor to kind of help uh, if they're needed from that perspective um, but hopefully uh, as little engagement from the, uh, the, the legacy vendor as possible. All right. Well, that's about all we had time for today. Great conversation. Really a lot of great, great detail, deep detail for our listeners. Um, regarding continuing education, you could use the final slide in this deck for your CEU needs. Uh, you will receive an email when the on-demand recording of this event has been posted. If you'd like to sponsor one of our upcoming events or book a custom event, you can reach out to Nancy Wilcox from our team, and you can go to our website to register for our upcoming webinars. So with that, I want to thank our panel, um, Chris Giroux, August Bori, and uh, Michael Archuleta for trying to get here. He had some travel difficulties, so unfortunately we missed Michael, but we wish him very very well in his travels. And I want to thank our sponsor very much, Galen Healthcare Solutions, for making the event possible. And I want to thank you, our attendees, for continuing to join us. And with that, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you.